Hello and welcome to University. I'm Jo Fisher and I'll be talking to some of my amazing colleagues from the University of Southampton over a nice cup of virtual tea. We'll find out how they are adapting to this new way of working, what pearls of wisdom they can offer and asking important questions like, how do you take your tea? This week, I'm joined by Dr. Nicole Mystery, a researcher in acoustics. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for joining me today for a cup of tea. Do you have a cup of tea with you? Yes, yes, I do. Excellent. And uh, what what's your tea of choice? Oh, nothing fancy. It's just a PG tips and... Um, I usually take it quite strong. I'm trying to cut down on sugar. So I figure if you make it stronger, that overrides the lack of sugar taste. So you just make it really strong, kind of like spoon stands up at attention when you stir it. <laughs> I like the logic. Um, <laughs> could you introduce yourself uh, properly for our listeners today and tell us what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Nikhil Mystery. I am a researcher at the Oceanography Centre. Uh, in a underwater acoustics. So my work sort of consists of looking at those little ugly little creatures that live in the sediment at the bottom of the sea. Um, and the way we're looking at them is uh, using sonar. So kind of like how dolphins and bats echolocate, we can use sound to image or find things in the water where it's too dark to use optical methods. And my background is acoustics. So I graduated from the University of Southampton with a degree in acoustics. So I'm interested in all things that make a sound or vibrate. And we look at the maths and physics of that. And I specialised in medical ultrasound and underwater acoustics. And my PhD was all on underwater sound and the interaction between sound and bubbles underwater. I bet a lot of listeners, including you know myself right now, sort of you underestimate how much sound impacts the world around you and, and things. I saw on Twitter that you were talking about the acoustics of making a cup of tea, which fits our podcast quite nicely. Would you able be able to summarise that quite quickly for us and then people can find the video on online? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, acoustics is in our lives from the moment we wake up to the point at which we go to sleep. And then it's even present when we are asleep. There's, you know, there's some really important studies looking at sleep disturbance, the effect of living near a train station or an airport, how that affects the people that live nearby. Does it disturb them when they're sleeping? Are there links to other health effects? You know, things like, I think it's called atherosclerosis, so the lining of blood vessels and things like that due to stress and startle responses. But yeah, then you can go to something that seems so mundane, boiling water in a kettle and making a cup of tea. But actually acoustics and specifically bubble acoustics are involved there. So when you're boiling that kettle, you'll notice that the sound gets really loud and people think, OK, it must be done when it's really loud. But it's not. Mm. It's actually when it goes much quieter. And then after that, the kettle has boiled the water and the process that creates those sounds or generates those sounds is to do with the generation of these bubbles in the kettle. So you turn the kettle on and the water that you have in the kettle has gas dissolved in it. It's mixed up air and stuff like that from whatever journey the water's taken. When you pour it out the tap, it mixes air into the kettle with the water. You boil the water so you have this heating element at the bottom of the kettle. And that's getting really hot. And the water that's immediately in contact with that surface, well, that heats up. And so now all this gas starts to come out of solution. You get these bubbles forming. And you can see this if you boil a pan of water, you start to see bubbles at the bottom. The bubbles rise up through the column of water 
and so they're getting they're traveling towards a surface of water inside the kettle but all the water further up is cooler because it hasn't heated up yet so now the water is too cool to sustain those bubbles so the bubble has formed at the bottom it rises up it cools down so now they collapse and it's the collapse that generates a sound this collapse is called cavitation it's a really powerful process it's a bit like you're clapping your hands in a large hall and if loads of people did this at the same time you'd get like a quite like a roaring sound of everyone clapping at the same time in a hall where it's really reflective and that's what's happening in the kettle the bubbles are all popping as they rise up through the cooler water they're creating these loud bangs inside the kettle and you're hearing the collection of all those bangs in that kettle reverberation as time passes more and more that water heats up so now further up the kettle the water is getting hotter and hotter and you get to a point where the whole body of liquid in that kettle is hot enough that the bubbles can rise up without collapsing and they don't collapse until they get to the top of the water and then it generates a different sound because it's no longer popping in water it's popping in air so because fewer bubbles are popping as they travel up that's the quieter sound that we get towards the end of the boiling process and then you know the bubbles pop they release hot vapor and that's why you have all that hot stuff um coming out the spout of the kettle so that's the sound generated by the kettle and that's why it gets loud first because loads of bubbles are popping and gets quieter because fewer bubbles are popping and that's the indicator that all the water is getting hot enough i i had no idea this was so there was so much science involved in making a hot drink <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't making tea and you were making coffee or hot chocolate and you might be using hot boiled water you can then do another experiment at home where you pour this boiling water into a mug you pour your coffee granules into it or your powder it's really good with like fine powders chocolate powder you stir it up and you notice all these bubbles and then what i suggest you do is you tap the base of the mug put the spoon in the mug and tap the middle of the bottom of the mug and keep tapping it and you'll notice that the pitch of the sound that it makes will go higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and it's to do with the bubbles so the speed of sound in air is much slower than the speed of sound in water there's almost like a five times difference so now you've got this much faster speed of sound in water but you've put bubbles of air in it by throwing this powder in so now you've got lots of pockets of air in the water so the water represents the characteristics of air more than water itself uh. so now you've reduced the speed of sound because you've got all these pockets of air in it as you tap it over time loads of those bubbles start to rise because they're buoyant so they rise to the top they pop they stay at, some of them might stay at the top so now you have fewer pockets of air in the in the mug so that liquid becomes more like water not air because that water has become more like water and less like air over time the speed of sound reverts back to that faster speed that it is in water and so the speed of sound goes up over time and there's a relationship between the speed of sound the wavelength of sound and the frequency of sound and so the equation is speed of sound equals wavelength times frequency so now we look at both sides of the equation speed of sound goes up wavelength doesn't change but the frequency has to go up to balance the other side of the equation and that's what we're hearing so we hear the frequency go up because the speed of sound is going up the effect of bubbles slowing down the speed of sound well humpback whales have used this mm. for years and years and years and they use this kind of effect to hunt if they hunt together these humpback whales there's cool videos on David Attenborough commentating over the top where they spew out these columns of bubbles around fish um they essentially create a big net of bubbles and then one whale makes a really loud call and they only ever make this call when they're hunting in this way 
And because the bubbles slow down the speed of sound, the sound gets trapped in regions where it's slower, so it gets trapped in the bubbles. So it's not the bubbles that are a problem for the fish, but it's the trapped sound in the bubbles that startles them. They try and swim out of the net of bubbles and they hear this loud sound, so they swim away. And then they realise they're surrounded by this sound, so they school together, which kind of makes it easy for the other whales to come up from underneath and gobble them up. That's amazing. I didn't even, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about how tea, you know, the sound of boiling kettle gets louder. I've always wondered that. And now I'm going to have to make a, make a hot chocolate just to, just to observe <laughs> the same science in my kitchen as in the sort of the depths of the sea with waves. That's amazing. Like it just, it applies to so many different things. I've learned so much already. <laughs> I mean, I, I've used hot chocolate powder, but trust me, hot chocolate made with water is really gross. So... <laughs> Just do it to listen to something cool, but don't drink it because I've done that to save you. (laughs) (laughs) It isn't as good. It isn't as good. Definitely. I agree. That's amazing. I've learned so much already in such a short space of time talking to you. Obviously, you're currently working from home and I can imagine that you're quite used to doing all of this in a lab or sort of on site or on sort of trips. I don't know. How are you finding adjusting working from home? I found it quite tough. Um, I'm finding it quite hard to like keep motivated, stay focused on the work. And I end up getting quite distracted even before the lockdown. I had loads of ideas for public engagement and stuff like that and I'd keep working through them and trying to sort of realise those ideas. Um, And I'm having ideas now because actually it's kind of a blessing in disguise that we're all stuck at home, engaged online. This is the perfect time to be creating lots of online content. But even like trying to sit down and put the content together, I'm still just really struggling to just sit down and focus for a long period of time. The other problem for me is that actually just before we were told we had to come and work from home. We were supposed to go out on a field trip to collect animals to then conduct experiments, which means actually my work specifically um, has kind of come to a halt. It is tough just to stay motivated, especially when you're in your own house. Like, I guess if you were just, if you had to go to a cellular office every day and work, at least you're getting out and doing something. If you're in your own house, you see this stuff when you come home from work anyway. You see that cupboard, you see that wall, you know what it is. The other drawback is that you've seen that crack in that wall that you need to fix. You've seen that garden that needs digging up. And that's a lot of the stuff I've been doing when I'm not focused. My partner and I, we bought a house in October. So there's loads of stuff to be getting on with anyway. Another blessing from this lockdown is that I can get out in my lunch breaks and just dig up a part of the garden. I've heard a lot of people talking about sort of their problems with focusing and motivation. And, and I think the, the thing that's coming through is so many people have distractions, like you said, about what's in your house, the people you're with, you know, maybe you've got kids you need to homeschool and there's projects with the house but you've also got this huge distraction of of the global pandemic that's happening outside of our windows and and I think you know it's it's very very difficult to work as you usually would because this isn't usual this isn't normal circumstances do you do you have an office space or are you working you know in space that you can find around the house or have you dared work from sort of the comfort of a sofa or a bed yet or has it not got to that point <laughs> <laughs> no we're, we're quite lucky um we've got this third room 
which is kind of like a small box room, but we already knew we were going to turn it into an office. So we're really lucky because I've seen a lot of friends who are like, oh, I've had to fashion this, I don't know, this little table in the side of the living room into a desk, uh, or I have to work on my laptop on the sofa. And for me, at, at least it would ruin the living room or the dining room because then I can't associate that with a place of eating mm. or resting because mm. I'd have to, I'd always be like, well, I'm working here anyway. Uh, where we have our dining table I've made a little library near it. So there's like a whole wall covered in books. So actually, if I wasn't doing some other work in here, I would have taken this call down there just because the library makes for a really nice backdrop, you know, kind of like the BBC interviews where you got, you know, they <laughs> whoever's being called, they've really prepped their room to look good. And yeah. we've just got all these old books on the on the wall that make it make a great backdrop. I've seen people joking on Twitter that they won't trust people doing a report <laughs> for TV now if they don't have a wall of books behind them. So maybe we, we all need to rethink our, our working situations to make sure we look reliable and trustworthy. <laughs> um, if only I had a library in, in my in my small flat but there we go um at least I'm not working using an earning board as a desk or something like that which I have also seen so um you just have to make the most of your situation don't you really you mentioned that you would normally be sort of now you'd be going out into the field and collecting samples or animals for your research what I was going to ask what would you be doing now if you weren't working from home and it was it's business as usual we'd be conducting experiments in the lab so this is where I'd spent a few months building the system, checking it works, knowing how to process the data. And so now was the point where we thought, okay, let's we're ready to go and get these animals, get some mud and um, start conducting experiments. You know, start to try and use sonar to study these sediments where animals are living in it. The idea is to look at, does the fact that animals live in the mud have an effect on how the mud responds to sound? And I know that sounds really weird just as a sentence in itself, but actually being able to do that being able to quote unquote image an area using sound a bit like how a dolphin paints an image in its head of what's under the sand when it's clicking away means we can study these locations where actually we can't get a camera because it's too dark or you know it's too remote for anything else and we can drop something down kilometers deep and deploy this acoustic equipment to scan the bed of some some area of water and and then we can bring it back up or we can have a tether that brings the data back up and we can create an image of what's down there. Maybe we discover something that we didn't know before or we can monitor the behaviour of these animals in response to something like climate change. So we could have a lab where we recreate that environment and see are these animals behaving differently? And if they are, how does that then have an effect on the rest of the environment? You know, if they're not living and breathing and excreting and reproducing in the same way, how does that then affect the greater ocean and how does that then affect the land? So you've mentioned a bit about your sort of career so far, um, moving from sort of your studies into the world of work and then returning to academia. Could you tell us a bit about your sort of your journey and some career highlights or some sort of standout moments that maybe have helped you to become who you are today? I kind of got into the degree by accident. When I was at school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so when it came to choosing A-levels, I wasn't really sure what I should pick. And I thought, OK, to be safe... Uh, I'll do a language, I'll do maths, I'll do a science. And I did English as well. I just thought if I do a wide range of things, I'm sure I could get into something. And then it became clear doing physics and maths, I was really into engineering. And when I came to Southampton to go on an open day and look 
at the civil engineering department. I then saw the acoustical engineering department. And my dad and I just thought that was quite interesting, quite cool. And I thought, okay, I might add this to my application. And I got the place. And actually, I, I haven't looked back since. Like, I don't regret picking it over all the other ones. I got really passionate about it really quickly. I was given loads of opportunities because I was really keen. And the year abroad that I took, that was in Australia. So I worked as a consultant engineer for a year in Australia. And I got to meet some amazing people, see some amazing things. And I got a good taste for the working environment in acoustics. When I came back... I chose one of the optional modules for th my third year as underwater acoustics and ultrasound. Some of the stuff I learned in that was wicked. I ended up going to the Institute of Cancer Research in Surrey to work as a researcher over a few months in the summer. And, and then I was just kind of sold on the idea of doing a PhD. Unfortunately, we couldn't get funding for some of the cancer research projects that I wanted to get involved with. But then one of my supervisors came forward with this other project in bubble acoustics in the ocean. Um, and so I went for that and I've still been able to stay in touch with all that stuff through bubble acoustics. So the first life changing thing or like cool moment milestone was going to Australia. That really, that was a really cool experience, not just because it was a trip to Australia, but it was great to see another culture, but also practice acoustics and see how it's used around the world. And I still talk to almost everyone I met there like I'd still keep in contact with the people I worked with and the friends that I made there so that was fantastic the second great moment was being at the Institute of Cancer Research that was really cool everything I do now almost all the public engagement I do now is just stems from underwater acoustics because I loved it so much and then yeah I guess the PhD is probably the biggest thing and and you'll probably hear this from loads of people when they talk about their PhD but it was, it was a really bumpy ride it's it's really not easy at all and you come out of it a bit scarred or <laughs> bruised you know you start to wonder whether you have the confidence that you thought you once had um but if you actually sat down and looked back and wrote down what you achieved in it you most phd students will find if not all will find that they did way more than what they might have done had they just gone into a job and taken a job that they might not be necessarily passionate about i ran a comedy club where we were getting researchers to talk about their work and life as an academic through comedy and that's probably one of my proudest achievements to do that we, we ran that for three years we had a youtube channel a podcast and it was great because not only were we showing the public what work was going on in southampton and giving them a night of comedy but we were also giving these researchers like an opportunity to just stand up and talk about whatever they want in their life of academia almost like getting something off their chest and, and giving them the confidence to present about their work. There's a lot going on there. And I, I actually, I, I was, I think I was at the university um, when that comedy uh, club was going on and I heard so much about it. So uh, that, um, I think it's an amazing sort of opportunity for, like you say, researchers to get out there and do something a little bit different. So you mentioned that you worked for a bit at the Institute of Cancer Research and looking at acoustics and tumours. Could you tell us a bit more about that? So at the Institute of Cancer Research, I was working in the focused ultrasound surgery team. Uh, what they were doing was they're using ultrasound instead of um, radiotherapy. So radiotherapy uses electromagnetic waves. These are waves associated with light. And in the focus ultrasound surgery, you're using sound, which you fire into tissue to cook it. And what I mean by cooking is your sound is a vibration. When I talk in the air to someone, the vibration is in the air particles. It's on our eardrum or the bones. When we send ultrasound through the tissue, it's vibrating 
the tissue we want to vibrate. So you can focus the sound to a particular point. Instead of just having one source of sound, let's, let's just call it a loudspeaker, it's easier to imagine. If you have one loudspeaker, there's only like one beam of sound coming out of it. If you have loads of loudspeakers together and you program them correctly so different speakers play the sound at the different time, the beams of sound interfere with each other. And at some points they destructively interfere, so you don't have any sound in the location. And some places they constructively interfere, so they add up and reinforce and get stronger. So with ultrasound, you can have all these different points, these little sources of ultrasound. They fire into one point, you program it, and you program it so that they constructively interfere at a point inside the body, let's say where there's a tumour. The idea is that those vibrations from that sound, they vibrate the tumour and that turns into heat energy. So it's heating up the tissue so much that, like I said, you kind of cook it. And the idea is that you have this accuracy around it. You don't have the shadow region around the treated area isn't as large. So actually you can get like, you know, a grain of rice accuracy. I don't know if you've happened to have anything or an object in your room or your um, your home that reminds you of your career or your research that you'd like to share with us. I have tattoos that I have on me and the first tattoo I got was kind of in the middle of my PhD where I was having a tough time and I just thought you know what I want to do something different and I went on a holiday I went on holiday to Germany and I just saw some really cool designs on the walls and stuff and I got inspired to like start drawing up bits myself so the first two tattoos that I have I drew myself and I just thought you know what let's just do it I had no tattoos before that and I just thought let's just do it who cares let's do something new and actually that kind of reinvigorated me to just wake up and do stuff in life and get on with my PhD so I have pi as in like the greek symbol pi on my arm i have sigma on another side and they're all got like cool different patterns like paisley and geometrical patterns around them um and then the thing i was telling you about the humpback whales well i have a humpback whale spewing out a bubble net on my upper right arm so that was like a big one i did towards the end of my phd and that kind of like is there to remind me I what you know I did bubble acoustics I'm really into the ocean I really I'm interested by these animals and what they do when I passed my PhD I got Dr Pikachu tattooed on my wrist <laughs> left wrist so it's Pikachu in a lab coat um and then I have I have a baby emperor penguin on my other arm and that was that's when I got engaged to my partner um and then I have a narwhal which I got when I submitted my thesis. Um, so I got that. So I'm slowly collecting them. Yeah, I love that. I know it's <laughs> cliche when you get asked if you've got a tattoo and then everyone immediately says, what does it mean? What does it mean? But yeah, and I, I love that all yours have sort of meanings, especially the humpback whale. I, I'm, I'm so happy that you've got, you know, a, a tattoo about sort of acoustics and bubble acoustics. That's, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. I, obviously, you know, uh, it's, it's not something that's easily sort of shown, but, um, yeah. but it's, it's like a personal reminder for you that you can carry it all time. So um, I wasn't expecting that to be your item. What a nice surprise. <laughs> the tattooed researcher.
apart from sort of obviously trying to work and trying to sort of stay motivated in terms of your research at home, you've already mentioned a little bit about sort of your garden and the work you want to do on your house. But have you have you developed any hobbies to keep you sort of occupied and, and sort of busy when you're not working? Or are you finding it quite hard? You know, obviously time to relax is, as is important to you as well. Um I will do anything, <laughs> Any, anything to get me away from the computer. No, um, I've always been into cooking food, uh, really interested in that. I really like exploring different flavours. So actually this, and and I think this is happening to like every 20 to 30, mid 30 person in, in the world now. Everyone's baking sourdough and banana bread. So yeah. <laughs> I thought, guilty. <laughs> why don't I do that? And um, I'm really interested in it. And, and, I, and actually as an academic, even like with tattoos or the garden or anything else that I do, I really like to get into the nitty gritty of it. So there are plenty of people on YouTube, on forums, whatever, that really go into this precise details of, you know, why does a sourdough taste this way? How do you make it better? What are the different flowers you can use? What, how do they change it? So I've been doing that. I've got a few starters with different flowers all at the same time. They've all got different names. <laughs> I feed them. I feed them every day. Um, and I've been making some loaves and looking at the different effects. And now I've got to a point where I think, I think I need different tools. So <laughs> the other day I spoke to my partner. We looked at each other and I was like, we've always wanted a stand mixer shall we get one and so they're quite expensive you know and and because we love bake-off I thought oh let's get a KitchenAid but then I sat online as I as I do in academia I did loads of research and and actually the the KitchenAids are okay but there are better ones but everyone gets a KitchenAid because they're really pretty and they're on Great British Bake Off but um, I think we might order one today actually I'm really excited about that but one thing I have learned while making the dough is that actually you should get to know your bread by your hands because that tells you a lot about how the bread might turn out. <laughs> so I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. So I've been doing a lot of baking. I made some really cool cookies on the weekend, actually. They were like tennis ball sized dough, bigger than a tennis ball. And then you put them in the oven, they make really thick, gooey cookies. And I just put like half a kilo of dark chocolate and pecans in there was really good that was really fun to make actually and they're really like instagram worthy images as well so i've been posting stuff (laughs) that's what you want from baking isn't it good enough to (laughs) put online for the Um, gram you're making my my baking attempts sound utterly pitiful as well so um, I'm, I'm going to have to up my game after talking to you. And I love, I love that you're obviously applying your sort of your academic sort of um, need for being precise and researching into things to to just baking, which is brilliant. So uh, enjoy using your uh, your your mixer when you do eventually get it, and we can all hopefully follow your progress and see what you end up coming up with, um, and yeah, how your bread develops as well. <laughs> yeah it's really it's well it's it's funny actually because with cooking you can just chuck stuff together and it if you know how things taste generally they'll be okay but baking is really tricky like you do have to be precise and that's the really annoying thing because like if you've met you might not know what you've messed up or what you've missed out on but when you finished it something doesn't go right it's not what you wanted and you sit there thinking like what did I do wrong like you really have to follow precise rules obviously the kitchen is a sort of a lab isn't it and cooking baking is a science of sorts so I suppose we can all pretend to be sort of scientists when we're 
making a cake or baking some bread potentially uh, that's yeah. quite tenuous but we'll we'll go with that you've mentioned how you much you enjoy public engagement and sort of teaching other people and getting everyone involved um, and how being at home is the perfect time to be doing that and planning that. Um, and I've seen that you've been doing a bit on online, on Twitter and things, and asking people to ask you questions and answering questions like the one we had about uh, the kettle. How are you finding that? What are your plans and how can people get involved with sort of um, exploring acoustics at home while they're inside? This year is the International Year of Sound. That, that And that's something that's really important. And, and I think... Before the pandemic, we had so many events planned for the year and we had, so, and I, you know, we had these plans to really go out with a bang, get people recognising that sound of vibration is all around them. They can study and play around with this stuff at home. They can appreciate all the inventions that we're coming out with. Um, and because of lockdown now and the restrictions, I think the year of sound has sort of been pushed to continue into next year as well. And so all the events will start happening next year once we can get out and do stuff. Mm. But one of the things I'm trying to do is get people to tweet ISVR Southampton with questions about things. So like we had, why does a kettle make this sound in this way? Just think about whatever you want and ask whatever you want. And we'll try and get someone to answer the question. So I, I will then speak to people in our department or other friends of the community to answer the question the best as best they can and if I can I'll make videos to go with that and then put them on the YouTube so people can watch them again and again and try experiments I've built a few toys at home so I'll try and film how to make them so people can start to like visualize vibrations like you've seen you'll see videos of like gloopy material on a loudspeaker and it makes patterns and stuff like that so there's loads of things to engage with and it's just a case of me thinking about what can I design what can I provide for people that also allows them to do it at home, give it and not assume that, you know, Jamie Oliver says you can make this with five simple ingredients and all you need is this egg from a dodo. And it's like he says it as if everyone has it in their kitchen, but they don't. So now I'm trying to think, what do people have at home and what can they do with it to then engage with that? And and the ASA, the Acoustical Society of America, they have like a whole Web page full of activities with kids that you can do to engage with acoustic sciences and things like that. I guess it's just a case of following at ISVR Southampton or the University of Southampton's engineering Twitter feed as well. Um, and, and we'll just put stuff up as and when we can. Mm. It sounds like there's plenty for people to be getting on with if they're feeling a little bit curious. And it also sounds like you're achieving plenty as well, even though you're not quite 100% confident that your focus and motivation is where it, it <laughs> usually is. So I really wouldn't worry about that. It sounds like you're doing a fantastic job um, in current circumstances. Is there anywhere else that people who are interested in finding out about what you do or your what your team does, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at nikhil underscore mystery then on instagram like i said nikhil dot mystery you follow the isvr's twitter at isvr southampton and youtube we're isvr southampton yeah thank you nikhil for your time and for talking to us about your experiences of the lockdown and working from home but also your research i have learned so much i have one final question for you do you have a favorite mug to take your tea in? <laughs> well, I really like my Le Creuset mugs because they all look cool. Uh, we also have mugs with our initial, like, Scrabble letters on them. So I have one with N on it and then it has, like, the score next to it. So I guess that could be my favourite one because it's specific to me. The Moomin ones are pretty cool as well. They all got cute designs on them. Let's go with the Scrabble mug. 
the one with the letter N. That's a cool one. It's always good to have a favourite mug, I think, to take to have a <laughs> cup of tea in in the afternoon. Um, thank you so much for your time, and um, it was great talking to you. No worries. Thank you very much for taking the time to chat to me. It was really good fun. Thank you to Nikhil for joining me for a virtual cuppa today. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast for future episodes. I'm Joe Fisher. Thank you for listening. This has been a podcast from the University of Southampton. <laughs>